0: Invite you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians fifteen. Troy had read that this morning, uh, by way of our uh, opening time and meditation in God's Word, and we're going to spend some time here today looking at uh, this remarkable, this remarkable passage. As Pastor Harry had mentioned on Monday, it's our goal this week to to prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday, that uh, when we come back, and, and this week in particular, this year, uh, has been very, uh, very unusual, right? We have a, a week of spring break where we're kind of out and about and uh, not in the regular rhythm of classes, and uh, of life here on campus, and so we're away and uh, doing other things, and, and we come back, and when we come back, you always kind of like have to work yourself kind of back into, uh, back into the rhythm again, uh, coming in for the first few days here of this week. But this week in particular, that right after spring break, we only have a couple of days, and then we hit uh, Resurrection Sunday and Easter weekend, and, and we wanted to slow down a little bit just wanted to have some time to reflect and to get prepared because it's, uh, it's not uncommon, isn't it? That you get in and you're like, okay, I got to get back into the groove of things and I'm starting to get my uh, my classwork and, and starting to move back into the rhythm of campus. Oh, and then, okay, and then I'll go on Sunday and, and then you kind of move on. But Resurrection Sunday and in the celebration of the Christian calendar uh, that there is no... Uh, greater and more significant celebration uh, than the one that we are about to enjoy this weekend. Um, and so it's our hope and ministry to have some reflection, some renewal, to prepare our hearts so that when we come together into our local churches and to join with the people of God around the world in celebration of the resurrection of our risen Lord, that we would be well prepared and ready to enjoy. Uh, our time and to give praise and honor to our God, I have to admit that Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is my favorite celebration of the year. I mean, it really is. I wake up in the morning. Uh, I, am, uh, I am blasting uh, Keith Green. Uh, I, am, uh, I am looking forward to uh, uh, Don Francisco. As a, matter of the, as a matter of fact, this morning, uh, I uploaded and listened to uh, uh, Phil Webb's version of that at Grace Community Church, and there is nothing better than hearing Phil Webb just belt out that he is alive, he is alive, he is alive, and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide with a full orchestra and a choir. It just, it draws my heart into worship uh, like none other. Uh, I, I want to ring, uh, just to, <laughs> I want to ring bells, right, of course, right? I, I, I want to sing, up from the ground he arose. I want to sing, uh, Christ the Lord is risen today. And uh, frankly, for those of you, I like a little Bill Gaither too, uh, because he lives, right? I want to sing all those songs. If I don't sing those songs, my family will sing them with me. I mean, I, I enjoy them. I love them. It, it draws my heart together uh, like no other day. And, um, and I've had some time over the years to really reflect upon what is it about Easter Sunday that really draws my soul together uh, in such a significant way? What is it that draws our hearts together? And that's my hope today. My hope today is to, is to remind ourselves of the wonderful joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that gives us help and hope for today. Because it is in our understanding of the resurrection, it is as we sing and we celebrate that it calibrates us. It, it allows the, all the, 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 uh, the voices of this world, the, the competing factors to, to take priority in my heart things that are distracting and tempting and discouraging, that I come in and on Resurrection Sunday that I get the opportunity with the people of God to say that there is nothing else that matters, but that the kingdom and my citizenship is in heaven and Jesus Christ is alive and I can rest and I can strive and I can pursue and I can live this life with immense hope and help because Jesus is. Is alive. First Corinthians 15:58 is my favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, everybody has one, I hope. Um, but this is the one that I go to most often. It is the one that is encouragement to me. It's the one that I text and send to my friends. And I want to read it for us here. And might it be a context uh, for us to look at this remarkable chapter? It reads, therefore, the word of God. It says in verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let, let's look at this for a minute. When it talks about being steadfast and immovable, those are, those are synonyms. Those are synonyms. So being steadfast means to be, to be seated, to be rooted, to be uh, anchored. And, uh, and immovable means to not be swayed from side to side. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth that is in upheaval. It, it doesn't have its own understanding and moral compass that it is in disarray. And, and Paul writes to the Corinthian church to center them on the truth of God's word and to, and to live life accordingly. And he writes at the end of this chapter, he says, look, you are to be steadfast, to be solid, not to be swayed from side to side and always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word abounding there means to to go above and beyond. What is it about this time of year that it's weary in doing good right now? Isn't it? This is it something about this time of year that it's, it's, we are challenged in our steadfastness and we're, we're swayed and drawn away from different things that to abound over and above in the work of the Lord can, can seem hard. And out of, out of Galatians 6.10 that Paul reminds the, the Galatians, they say, look, the, don't grow weary in doing good. but Always abounding in the work of the Lord here in verse 58, over and above. To, to know by God's grace that we can strive, that we can live, that, that out of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it speaks of that, that we are, we've been redeemed, that we've been d- redeemed for a purpose and to do good works. We're not to be uprooted and, and drawn from side to side to be weary in doing good. Titus 2, 11 through 14 talks about this. He says, look, Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us, reading the word of God from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Those are all imperatives, commandments, to say we are to be immovable and and steadfast, and we are to abound in the work of the Lord. And that commandment comes at a particular time during this year. And I think that's another reason why Resurrection Sunday becomes such a a sweet renewal to my soul. It's to remind myself again that all of those things, that I can strive, that I can be immovable, that I can be steadfast, that I can abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Why? It says there in the end of the verse, it says, Because your labor is not in vain, it's not worthless, it's not pointless. That there's a purpose. Unlike the book of Ecclesiastes that says that everything is vanity. Here it says the thing that is in our lives that is not vain is if we are abounding and steadfast and immovable in the work of the Lord. And I think in all of our hearts we say amen and amen to that. That we want to be like Colossians 3.23, that whatever we do to work heartily is unto the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance and your reward, that, that you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to be by way of encouragement today for us to say, I want us to be steadfast. I want us to be immovable. I I want my soul to be abounding in the work of the Lord and and knowing that and the reason why those things, the motivation for all of that is that it's not in vain. The reason why it's not in vain. The empowerment to be steadfast and immovable. The perseverance to always be abounding in the work of the Lord is rooted in, in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can you, how can you finish? How can you finish in the flesh that's begun in the spirit? Anyone who has ever been weary in doing good, what calibrates our hearts, what draws us back again, is that this is not all that is in this world. That to live and to strive and to pursue that it's not just the work in and of itself, but to know why we do what we do. The empowerment to pursue those things is what gives context, what gives empowerment, what gives hope. So the hope and the pursuit to be all of these things and, and the imperatives in, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight is drawn into the rest of the chapter. And so I want to inspire and to help our hearts today to be a precursor, a, a pre-taste, a, an encouragement for all of us here and for, for you as a student as you're about ready to jump into the next six weeks of the semester, to really dig deep and to invest and to, and to abound, I pray, in the work of the Lord. I want our next few moments to be encouraging, to be empowering to remind us that all of that work, all of those efforts are not in vain. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And we get to celebrate that um, on this Resurrection Sunday. So let's review and just look through here. And we're just going to move through this, this chapter here quite briefly. But I want to make some uh, riveting thoughts for us to, uh, to meditate on. Here, let's look at just these five realities here of the resurrection and how that gives us hope and help to be steadfast and immovable. Five realities of the resurrection that gives us help and hope uh, for us to, uh, to be abounding in the work of the Lord, to be steadfast in doing good. The first one here is that the reality of the resurrection proclaims the gospel. It proclaims the gospel. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, that, excuse me, as Jesus Christ has rose from the dead, it validates everything that he said. He had come as Messiah, he had come proclaiming the forgiveness of sin, he had come as the reigning king of life and death, and all of his words were validated in the moment that he rose from the dead. It is the center point of the gospel. You cannot be saved if you don't believe in the resurrection. If Jesus just died on the cross and didn't raise from the dead, then you don't have a complete gospel. But it's both conquering, it's both the forgiveness of sin and the conquering of sin and death that lays Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Do you remember Romans ten nine and 10? It says this, if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Now look here into 1 Corinthians 15. Turn your eyes down here and look at what Paul said. He said, look, in uh, verse 2, and um, verse 1, I preached to you, and you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. And And what was it in verse 3? In verse, in first importance, that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that the 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 verification of Christ's claims to forgive sin was, was proven according to the scriptures by his resurrection. And it is this that we now stand. It is this that we now live, that Jesus Christ not just died, but that he rose from the dead. And that is the essence of the gospel. And so this gospel is not just something that has been told, but that it was witnessed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. It's not a myth. It's not a story. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened in time and in space. And I would present to you the most defining mark in human history is the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And it was witnessed. Look, you can see it all there in and, and verses five all the way through eleven that, that he was he was witnessed by Cephas and by the twelve and by five hundred at one time. And and James, either one of the apostles and maybe even the half-brother of of the lord and and also to paul paul puts together and says on the road to damascus i saw the same resurrected lord that all these other people had seen it wasn't just something that happened that people talked about but it was witnessed in time and space and in and in physical reality do you know this is what peter preached in acts 2 when Peter, I mean, imagine this moment, right? Peter's up, in, uh, Peter's up with the disciples. The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter, who had never preached before, Peter had a gift at that moment to go and to preach the gospel and to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And what does he preach? He preaches the resurrection from the dead. Out of Joel, out of David. And what he preaches is that Jesus Christ is alive and we're all to bear witness when we go on sunday morning and we sing these songs and as we celebrate together we are celebrating that jesus is alive and that he rose from the dead proving the validity of the gospel message that he came to preach it happened it's real and that a gospel and that gospel applies to us We don't have to be drawn away by myths and philosophies. We don't have to be drawn away or uprooted. We can be steadfast and immovable. Why? I mean, the bombardment, my friends, the bombardment of so much stuff that comes into our minds and hearts from everything from our phones to the news to philosophies to songs. Everything in there is preaching something that this is how life should be, that this is how life should be lived. And if our hearts are not rooted, you get drawn away from one or the other and you get weary in doing good. On Sunday, we get to gather together and we get to say, the reality of life is that Jesus is alive. And because of which the gospel applies to you, applies to me. Not because I did anything, Jesus rose from the dead for his own honor and glory, and that while I was dead in my trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ died and rescued and rose from the dead in conquering of sin, and now I am now joint heirs with him, not because of anything that I've done, but because of his grace alone. Do you remember Ephesians 2, 4 through 6? But God, open your Bible to that. Let's look at this. Just look at this for a minute. The reality of the resurrection and how that brings steadfastness and immovability and the ability to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that it's not in vain. Why? Because because Christ has raised from the dead. Look at this, Ephesians 2, do you remember this? The essence of the gospel? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you see the resurrection there? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the anchor of the gospel. And it is the gospel itself by which we live and move and have our being. It is the gospel itself that defines the choices that we make. It is the gospel itself that brings us hope and joy. It's not in our own effort. It's not in our own ability to be steadfast or to be immovable. But rather it's rooted in bedrock in the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel that's been applied to us by his grace alone. That's why in Romans 8 it says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he is king and ruler. He's raised from the dead. And that gospel has been applied to you and applied to me. Praise to the Lord Jesus Christ that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he is reigning. And he is risen from the dead. And we are united with him. Is that not refreshing in your soul? Does that not draw away all of your works, righteousness that you pile up into your heart, the things that slow you down? I don't have the ability or the time or the effort to continue to do good. Paul says you can be immovable and steadfast. You can be abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because the work was never dependent on you in the first place. I'm just preaching to myself. You know that, right? It's all I'm doing. This time of year, Easter comes. Easter comes never been dependent on me it's always been dependent on the work of the lord so i can abound i can be steadfast i can be immovable why because the power of the resurrection is applied to me through the gospel so that's the first one here's the second reality the reality of the resurrection of jesus christ that helps us and gives us hope for today as we prepare for this weekend the second reality is that the reality of the resurrection gives us a hope for the future not just justification in the past, but a hope in the future. And you can see that there in, uh, in verse uh, 11, excuse me, verse 12, all the way through verse 29. That, that there were some skeptics, I mean, this is really remarkable in terms of the Corinthian church, that there were some skeptics that said, that said, look, there'll be, there'll be a spiritual resurrection, but there won't be a physical resurrection. There'll just be a spiritual resurrection. And Paul says, look, If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead then we have absolutely no hope whatsoever it's one thing first and foremost that the gospel itself is rooted in the resurrection but if you take the resurrection out you can't have the gospel in and of itself you can't just have a spiritual resurrection you have to have a physical resurrection why because Jesus rose from the dead and if Jesus rose from the dead, then that means that our hope is found in him. And if he has risen from the dead, he has promised that he will raise us from the dead. So if Jesus is risen from the dead and he's promised for us to rise from the dead, then we will rise from the dead. Therefore, there is a resurrection. The implications of that is, is devastating. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then there is no gospel. And if there is no gospel, then we're fools. Everything that you do is absolutely worthless. Everything that you've leveraged, everything that you've given up, everything that you strive for is in a book of lies. And it's not true. And you know what's even worse? Is that those who have died believing in Jesus Christ are in hell. Or nihilism at best. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, then that means our hope is absolutely futile. And the hope of people in the past that have placed it, their hope in there as well, are dead in their trespasses and sins. So Paul says, because Jesus rose from the dead, you have to believe in a resurrection of the dead from us as well. Because the opposite is devastating. Look at the scriptures here. I mean, just reflect on that for a moment. Look here in verse 14. Picking up the argument, he says this, and if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He's actually saying, if Christ had not risen from the dead, all the apostles have been lying to you. All the disciples have been lying to you. Everybody in the church has been lying to you. Verse 15, and we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified that God had raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished as well. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. This was a foundational moment in my own journey of salvation. I remember um, I was walking to school, um, and there was this thought. There was this thought. What if it is true? What if it is true? What if everything that I read in the Bible, what if everything that's been told to me is true? Because there's only one of two options. It's either it's not, and I don't know what life and world is, or it is true, and that changes everything. Paul is stating here, off of the basis of the witnesses and the reality of the resurrection from the dead, that Paul is saying that it is real, because if it's not, then everybody is the most to be judged and pitied but what if it is real? In verse 20, it's probably one of, one, of the, one of the most highlighting verses in this whole section. Look at it there in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ has risen from the dead. He has. So listen, you can say that there is no resurrection for the dead. And if there is no resurrection for the dead, then we're the most to be pitied. And we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has risen from the dead. And there is hope, and there is life. You can be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord today, today, because you can rest your whole life in fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and that you're not to be pitied, and you're not dead to your trespasses and sins, and the apostles all haven't lied to you. But it's absolutely true, and that has implications, doesn't it? If it's true, then you can be steadfast. If it's true, you can be immovable. If it's true, you can abound and give yourself to the work of the Lord. Why? Because it's not in vain. Paul says it's not in vain. But that Christ has been raised, and not only that, but he is the first fruits of the resurrection. It directly applies to us. You can see there, uh, you can see there in verse, in verse 20, it says, but in the fact Christ has raised from the dead the first fruits of those, um, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That word first fruits there is saying that that Jesus Christ is actually the first of a harvest of God. Jesus Christ wasn't the first person to raise from the dead, right? There are several people that had been raised from the dead in the scriptures most notably Lazarus. So why was why is Jesus' resurrection from the dead so much more significant to us because it's not just that he rose from the dead but that he's the first fruits of a harvest? A harvest of God reconciling to himself a people. A people for his own possessions that are zealous for good works. The redeemed. And Jesus Christ, the God-man, is the first visible expression of that resurrection that will one day all be captured up into the air. And we'll all be resurrected from the dead and to live in a millennial kingdom that is real, that is on this earth, and Satan is going to be bound. And that is the first resurrection that Jesus talks about in John 5. The second resurrection is the resurrection unto death. That Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection of the believers the first fruits of the people of God and then he will gather his people together and and to call upon him and then one day will come where he resurrects all the unbelievers unto judgment so that at the end he will prove that through the resurrection of both Jesus Christ and of his people and of, unbel- of his people unto Unto reward and unto unbelievers, unto damnation. That then he will be all in all. Look at verse 24. So then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Verse 28. And when all things are subject to him, that being God the Father, then the Son himself will also be subject to him, being God the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, being the Son, that God may be all in all. The resurrection of Jesus Christ puts him as the first fruits of a reigning king that is established literally and millennially through the resurrection of the people of God. Doesn't that put having a rough night of homework in its right perspective? Doesn't that put the extra effort to be kind to somebody in your wing who's being a little prickly this time of year? Doesn't it mean that in your own heart and soul to fight the temptation and the inertia of your own sin and to choose righteousness The smaller hardships of this life, the light and momentary afflictions that will not compare to the eternal weight of glory of the resurrection that has been shown and displayed as the first fruits by Jesus himself. And you can rest in that. You can lean on that. You can move to that, that he is ruler over everything. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, for from him and through him and to him, that there is nothing in this created world, n- nothing that is not outside of his reign. And you can be steadfast in that. You can be immovable in that. You can be abounding in the work of the Lord in that, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Why? Because you're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords who risen from the dead. Third reality, we'll just kind of motor through here. Third reality. Well, this is the one that I wanted to talk about the most too, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so much to reflect upon. The reality of the resurrection third one here the reality of the resurrection gives motivation for godliness do you see how the logic is going there do you see how the logic is going there not just not just is it not just is it a reality that Jesus rose from the dead and justified us in our uh, justified us but yet it is also there's a future hope that he will come back and reign and we will reign with him because he rose then we will rise and the implication there is found in verse 29 through 34. Then the question becomes why the question becomes, why do you struggle? Why do people have a hard time with things? Why do we work and strive in salvation, uh, excuse me, in mortification? Why do we work against holiness if there's no resurrection from the dead? It makes no sense. I mean, seriously. Mortification of sin makes absolutely no sense if there's no resurrection from the dead? It makes no sense. It's not worth it. Isn't it? Have you ever stopped? I mean, I-, I would present this to you, and I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but I think it's an interesting point. Sometimes in the discouragement of fighting sin is that you're kind of like, you know what? It's really just not worth it. It's only me. You want to know what motivates holiness? You want to know what motivates godliness? Is that your mortification of your sin is in loving obedience and pursuit of the God who has who has reigned and 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 will reign one day that that all of that work is not in vain and you can see this here in uh, in verse twenty nine through thirty four. Let me just pick up um, maybe in uh, verse thirty four. Look at this here. Uh, 32, Paul says this, he says, what do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought the beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. Do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. He's just saying, look, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, and if we are not united with him through the gospel, and that we will reign one day, if that isn't true, then why work hard at all? You should eat and drink for tomorrow, you're gonna die. But he has risen from the dead. And you aren't dead in your trespasses And any sense. So then, he says, look there in, uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 34. Wake up then from your drunken stupor as it is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. He's saying, wake up. He's saying, wake up. That's the impetus of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. Turn in your Bibles there. Let's look at this for a moment. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. In light of the resurrection, and our pursuit of holiness, that being done in the context of community as the people of God, familiar passage, but listen to it in light of the resurrection. And let us consider how to stir up one another, same language there, wake up, it's to wake up from a sleep. And let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day when Christ returns, drawing near. Get together, encourage one another, grab each other by the shoulders and say, wake up, wake up. Wake up from the half-baked truth truth of sin and, and the world and all of these half-baked pleasures. Wake up out of your drunken stupor and live for Jesus Christ because he's alive. He's alive. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. Live that way. Be steadfast in it. Be immovable in it. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Your pursuit of holiness is not in vain. Your abounding in the work of the Lord is not in vain. Your rootedness and your steadfastness is not. All of that is rooted in the fact that Jesus is alive and that we can we can leverage that. Do you know that the power of the resurrection, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that raised us and will raise us from the dead and gives us the power to live holy lives today. That same power. Right into your margins, Philippians 3, 8 and 10, it speaks about that. First Peter 1, three through four speaks about that. The prayer of Paul to the Ephesian church says that, that I want the eyes of your hearts to be open, why? that the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. That sort of power, the power of the resurrection is in you to be able to fight sin. Isn't that the point of Romans 6? The whole point of Romans 6 is that you don't have to sin anymore. Why? Because you're not enslaved to sin anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ has purchased you, and he's rose from the dead. So that there's no no enslavement to sin anymore. Christ died, we died, Christ rose, we rose, and now the power of that resurrection gives us the ability not to be enslaved to sin anymore. On Sunday morning, when we sing of the power and the work and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that power and work and resurrection, that we can proclaim that I am no longer enslaved to sin anymore. I don't have to sin. I'm enslaved to a new master and a new king and that king is alive and he's conquered death and hell and sin and he's risen as the first fruits and he's coming back for you and I and we will reign for him with him and we will celebrate in glory and we will say by the end of this chapter oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting Look down at verse 50 make a final concluding thought, and then we'll wrap it up. The reality of the resurrection is not just a distant thought, and this is this connects so well to verse 58. But the reality of the resurrection can be realized at any moment. Did you hear that? If you grasp nothing, grasp this. The resurrection... The calling up of the people of God can happen at any moment. The eminency of Christ is all throughout Scripture. John 14, Philippians 3, Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 Timothy 6, Titus 2, James 5, Revelation 3. All of them says that in a a moment's notice, Christ will come back for his people. In a moment's notice. In the verse here in verse 50, it says that, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit... Um, the kingdom of God. And in verse 52, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, they will sound and the dead will raise. That word there, talking about a twinkle of an eye, is the smallest part of particle that you can think of. It's actually where we get our word Adam. It's so small, it happens instantaneously. How can you be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Because you know that at any single moment, it's not going to be in vain and that you will be able to go and to move and to abound because Christ is coming back, and he's coming back at the right time, at the right place to give him honor and glory and you greatest joy. So that's why this Paul crescendos this whole chapter by saying, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks to be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ this Sunday the Sunday when we come and we and we gather together for resurrection Sunday my prayer is is that it would be recalibrating to our souls that we would see life as it really is and by comparison to the greatness of the promise of the resurrection and the power that raised Jesus from the dead that's been invested into our own hearts that we don't need to be slaves to sin anymore, that we can be immovable, we can be steadfast, we can be abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because it's not in vain. Jesus is alive. And he's coming back to raise us up in glory. And that reality changes how you live. May he come. And may he come quickly. Therefore, be steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor, dear friends, is not in vain. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we review and we look and we remember and we are encouraged and we are inspired through this passage of scripture to reorient our hearts to know that our whole life is wrapped up, yes and amen, in Jesus Christ. And he is real. His resurrection is real. Our hope for eternal life is real. Our Our forgiveness of sin is real. There is no condemnation in Christ. Jesus is real. And that reality, O Lord, I pray, would give us hope and help to live rightly today. And that as we gather on Sunday, might we sing with all the saints that you are alive and that we can put our hope and trust in you. So I pray that you will help us towards that end to your honor and glory. And may you come quickly, O Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. Have a great day. You guys are dismissed.